You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. take full responsibility for everything this government has been doing in tackling coronavirus and I'm very proud of our record. Tens of thousands of our citizens have died avoidably. These were unnecessary deaths because of systematic government misconduct. With good British common sense, we will continue to defeat this virus and take this country forward. There are a lot of green shoots of opportunity on the horizon. You know, we've been held down on forest floor for far too long and we will reach that canopy again. Hello, happy Friday. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Sebastian Salik. And a very good afternoon. I'm Roger Hearing. Today it's our special on conferences, specifically on the Liberal Democrat conferences, happening virtually, as they all are this year, uh, today. But we do begin with the fallout from Rishi Sunak's big economic announcement yesterday. Business here has largely welcomed the government's extension of the cut in VAT. The CBI says the plan will save hundreds of thousands of viable jobs. Under the scheme, the government's going to help top up workers' wages with employers to at least three quarters of their full-time pay, but only staff who can work at least a third of their normal hours will be eligible for the scheme. And that set alarms bells raising, of course, for uh, companies and people who can't work at the moment, because you have to be doing at least something to get that top up, especially fueling concern among hospitality, events, retail workers, people on zero hours contracts. The Institute for Physical Studies making the point that some jobs that would be viable in the long term, like nightclubs, aren't viable while these restrictions are in place. So that term viable really is variable depending on on what you take into account. The Labour Business Minister, Lucy Powell, fearing this package still won't stop mass redundancies. That, in the end, will cost our economy, it will cost our society, and it will cost those individuals a great deal more than if, if they just got a bit more balance right in the proposals that they put forward yesterday. Meanwhile, rebel Conservative MPs are threatening to force the government to let Parliament approve new virus restrictions. At least 40 Tories have put their names to an amendment, all but wiping out the government's majority on the issue. And it comes as the Commons is due to review the government's pandemic legislation, six months after it was enacted. The move would still need opposition backing. Yeah, and Steve Baker, who's bringing this about, the backbencher from the Tories, saying he was 100% certain this would pass if he got that opposition backing. So one to watch closely when that goes to vote, if indeed it does end up going to vote and we don't get some sort of climb down next week. And then we can't have a day, of course, without talking about Brexit. Negotiators have put their row over Boris Johnson's plan to break international law to one side. Sources telling Bloomberg the EU is still likely to pursue legal action over the matter, but negotiations will continue in Brussels next week. So both sides expressing some optimism after David Frost and Michel Barnier met in London on Wednesday 
laying the foundation for next week's talks. And this really from the EU side is about not wanting to be in the firing line when the blame game starts. They don't want to be seen to be frustrating the process. So it really, they have to continue this, don't they? Yeah, and it's interesting. There is a lot of talk now coming out of Downing Street. It seems suggesting that a deal is within reach. We've been here before, but it is interesting. But let's go to what is our main subject today. Bloomberg's Westminster special, taking a look at party conferences, because while Labour wrapped up earlier this week, the Liberal Democrats' virtual offering is actually underway right now, and in just over a week's time, it'll be the Conservatives. But as Bloomberg's Sandra Kilhoff explains, this season, it's not quite business as usual. conference season, it's usually a chance for the weird and wonderful devotees of political parties to get together, usually in a seaside resort, and celebrate the values that bind them. But this year, the pandemic has forced everything online. That means no leaders addressing auditoriums packed with party faithfuls, no laughs, groans or applause, and no risk of drinking one too many cups of warm white wine in a crowded hotel bar. Labour was first up with its virtual offering, which focused more on party training. The Liberal Democrats start today, and unlike Labour, they'll still hold votes to make policy. Up in Scotland, SNP leader Nicola Sturgeon's keynote speech will be closely watched on both sides of the border as the party renews its push for a second independence referendum. And the Conservatives reportedly haven't given up on renting lucrative stalls to companies, offering online versions for more than £25,000 each. That underscores one of the key difficulties of cancelling physical conferences. They're usually big money spinners for parties. Labour insiders, for example, haven't been shy about the fact that the loss of income will be a significant hit. Sandra Gehoff there explaining where we're at with party conferences. A little bit different this year, isn't it? Well, for more on today's Liberal Democrats conference, we're pleased to be joined by the party's MP for Edinburgh West, Christine Jardine, who's also the party's spokesperson for the Treasury, Brexit, Europe and Trade. So plenty to get into there. Um, Christine, we'll talk about your conference in just a minute. First, got to hear what you have to say about Rishi Sunak's announcement yesterday. Labour telling us it was too little too late. Is that something that chimes with you? It does very much. I mean, to a certain extent, we welcomed it because we have been asking for an extension to furlough, and at least um, the Chancellor has agreed to that, but it's only six weeks. What we were looking for was an extension through to June 2021 and some flexibility, something based on the German Kurzarbeit scheme, which certainly he had, has added the flexibility, but again, 30% is quite a threshold for companies to meet um, in this difficult time. Um, and there's nothing in it for training. There is no job creation. There's no incentives for inward investment at a time when we're, we're going to need it. No transfer to green economy. So what we're really missing from this government is any kind of idea, any kind of direction, some strategy on how we get the country out of this economic mess. But it would cost an awful lot of money. I mean, what you're talking about would cost more than what Rishi Sunak is proposing. Isn't there a point where people just have to say, hang on, enough? Well, what, what do you regard as the cost? If he doesn't invest money, then the economy will collapse. We will lose vital industries, we'll lose income, we'll lose GDP, and then that begins to have a massive effect on people. I was brought up quite side. I've seen what happened to a community and people went... Uh, you, you lose the industry on which the entire economic structure of a region is built, like shipbuilding, like coal mining. These are, th- you know, 
we should have learned the lesson from that. And we can learn the lesson from that. And we should be investing in transitioning transitioning our economy. Now, an extension to 2021 next year would have been that much more expensive than um, the Chancellor was talking about um, himself. So it depends on what you think is important. Yeah. And I think it's important that we keep our, our economy alive and we keep it serving people and keep um, basically keep earning money. And Christine, I've got to ask you about the conference, setting out your stall today yeah. in a slightly unusual way. I, I understand that from the Lib Dems, the idea is that uh, you want to do as much as normal as possible, still having votes, still having fringe events, that sort of thing. Um, your main policy of last year opposing Brexit is obviously gone. So what, what are you offering the British people this time that Keir Starmer and the Labour Party isn't? Well, significantly today we have a debate on universal basic income because we feel that this is... Um, an idea whose time may well have come partly because of COVID-19 and we've seen that there are people who have fallen through the net and that's not acceptable. So what we will be debating today is backing the principle of reviewing and, and looking at a way of piloting a universal basic income scheme that would um, reimagine Beveridge's vision of a welfare state for the 21st century. Look at the situation we're in now and move forward. Universal credit Nobody's been entirely happy with the way it's worked. So the aims everyone agreed with, but the way it's worked hasn't been successful up to this point. And through COVID-19, we've seen millions of people, about 3 million people, completely excluded from any kind of financial support from the government. So we think that this is a massive problem that the country is facing, but we should also see it um, in the way that Beveridge did in 1942 and the Labour government did after the war, an opportunity to to kickstart the country, kickstart the economy, move the welfare state on and, you know, get us going again and provide something which actually cares for people, puts people first. And, and I mean, universal basic income usually is seen as quite a radical policy, but do you think that now, after furlough and after so many people have received state support wholesale, there might be more widespread support for something like this? I would think so. I think we've all um, been brought up short by this by the fact that we are so individually and as a society and communities economically fragile. It doesn't take much, we've learned in this, for what you've, you've saved or you've built up or, you, you know, your family have developed over years to be swept away in some, you know, a situation like this. And it's the second time in 20 years we've seen this. 2008, a lot of people were hit incredibly badly by the financial crash. Some have recovered, some haven't. So I think it's time um, that we re-examined it. Now, personally, I admit that two or three years ago, two years ago, DWP spokesperson, I wouldn't have supported it then, but that was a different time. Yeah. We're in a very different set of circumstances now, and I think we have to look at how we deal with that. Christine, I think a point that will be going through a lot of people's minds listening to this is whatever you say, and, and, and there are many interesting ideas floating around, what is the point of voting Liberal Democrat? What's the point in supporting them? You had uh, an election last year in which you, you really crashed and burned. There's no point in voting for a party that isn't going to win, is there? Well, what there's a point in fighting for is a better society. And there's a point in fighting for the party that wants to give you that better society that's bringing forward ideas like an extended furlough furlough scheme and a flexible furlough scheme like universal basic income and other things which we will be discussing um, this weekend in our debate. We are a party who is determined 
to work for the British people. It's not about party policy, it's not about right or left, it's about putting people first. And I think in this crisis, that is what people will be looking for. That was the last election. The next election, we will move forward and we will present the British people with a carefully worked out set of policies which are aimed at supporting all of us and rebuilding our economy, making it a stronger, greener economy. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is a special episode you're listening to on party conferences. We had Labour's virtual offering earlier in the week. We've got the Liberal Democrats kicking off today and we'll get the rest in due course. A very strange time, of course, with all of this happening online and parties really having to rethink what the function of their conferences are. The Labour one was very different to what you might usually imagine. Still with us is the Liberal Democrat MP, Christine Jardine. Uh, uh, Christine, one interesting thing about the Liberal Democrats is that their member votes at conference make policy rather than inform them. What happens then if they go against the, the, the general view of the leadership? Well, if the leadership um, thinks that something is a, is a good idea for party policy, then they have to persuade conference. And if conference doesn't think it's a good idea, then it won't, you know, it won't be passed. The whole point is our leadership listening to the members um, and taking on board ideas and debating ideas. Um, yes, sometimes there's disagreement, but it's healthy disagreement because it's only by talking about something that you you can come to an informed decision. Um, so I think I think that's vital, and that's why it's such an important part of our year, and why we were so determined that this virtual version of the conference would go ahead as close to the normal set of um, debates and fringes, etc., as normal. Christine, let me ask you something that may seem a bit cruel, perhaps, but I suppose the key point for almost all these conferences historically has been the leader's speech. We saw it, of course, with Keir Starmer earlier this week. Ed Davey, I mean, with the best will of the world, he's another middle-aged white man leading a major political party, and he's a bit dull, isn't he? Would you say that about Keir Starmer as well and, and Boris Johnson? I mean, that's, that's a bit. I mean, he can't help the fact that he's uh, white and middle-aged. Um, and, you know, I don't think that's, that's a fair criticism. He is the leader of the party. The party chosen because he has the ideas, the vision, the judgment that we think is ideal for the party to take it forward and would also be good for the country. He's a politician with immense um, experience as the Secretary of State for Energy and Climate Change. Ed was one of the people who laid down the foundations of what became the Paris Agreement. So this is a man with a political pedigree success in politics, ideas, vision, and that's what's important. And that's why the party voted for him overwhelmingly uh, just a few weeks ago. Christine, thank you so much. Best of luck with conference today. Christine Jardine there, Liberal Democrat MP for Edinburgh West. Now, earlier in the week, we saw, as we were mentioning, Labour leader Keir Starmer trying to rally up his members with a speech from an empty hall in Doncaster. A bit of a strange vibe. The Conservatives reportedly hadn't given up on renting lucrative stools to companies, the party's conference getting away virtually next weekend. So it raises the question, how much impact are these conferences really going to have this year when everything is on a Zoom screen? 
For more, let's bring in Mark Glover, who's the founder and chief executive of Newington Communications. In past lives, he's served on the federal executive of the Liberal Democrats and been a campaign manager for Labour at three general elections as well. Mark, good to have you. I mean, both main party leaders, I suppose, are going to be pretty relieved this year that they don't have to address the packed conference hall. It's presumably a plus for both Keir Starmer and Boris Johnson not to have to do that. Well, I, I, I wouldn't say it was a plus. I think um, getting the, the feedback from the membership always great, very good visuals uh, for the media. But uh, for Kia, it was very much about uh, introducing the new team, the new leadership team, and I think very much saying that it was a break from the immediate past. Uh, you know, the, the Stormer team has to, to demonstrate its difference from the Corbyn team. And although it was done remote in, in Doncaster to show it the party, uh, not just of Westminster, but of the whole country, I think it, its message uh, got across. You've got to remember with Labour, it's four years before there's a general election. So now it's about building trust with um, the voters, uh, building up uh, support from the membership, and also re-engaging with business and saying to business, we can trust, you know, trust us on the economy. Um, I think it's going to be very interesting for Liberal Democrats. Uh, I say, Ed Davey, it'll be about the oxygen and publicity. People don't know him. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what he says. And I think, actually, Boris is probably the most relieved because uh, his handling of COVID uh, is calling into, causing some uh, concern on the backbenchers, as we've seen today. And I think uh, quite a lot of his membership will be very concerned that he needs to reassure them that he's really um, steering the ship in the right direction. And so I think he's probably the most relieved of the three, where I think for Keir Starmer, you know, the fact that he had to then go back into Parliament and uh, do a parliamentary address, it wasn't ideal for him. But as I say, not a bad start for them. Uh, I think there's more chances of them dropping the ball than actually having real cut through. But they need to build that trust. And it's quite a start of a long journey to do that. Well, I was going to say, I mean, a lot of it, one person said to me, it really only becomes a story. It only really becomes reaching out beyond the party faithful when something goes horribly wrong. And, of course, many of us remember Theresa May's speech with half her set falling down during her speech and various other things. But apart from that, really, it's preaching to the crowd, isn't it? Preaching to the faithful. Well, well, a lot of this, you know, everyone, every year, the members and the activists need to get their fix of leadership of a bit of hope an inspiration that it's worth them giving all their time to the party over the next year. I think for, for Keir, it was very much winning over the Labour Party voters and Labour Party members. Um, you know, we've come on the back of what was quite a competitive leadership conference. Uh, as I say, there's a break from... He needed to signal there was a break from the Jeremy Corbyn years, which I think he did quite successfully. Uh, but, uh, you know, for him, it's to pre get the members and the Labour supporters on side first. He's got four more years to, to uh, convert the voters, to trust them. We're seeing the polls move in the right direction. So that's quite positive for him. But I think this is the, the first of the start of a number of set piece speeches to introduce himself to the electorate, but also to the, you know, to the membership, because they've not heard of him that much. Uh, but also... I think to introduce this team of Annalise Dodds and Ed Miliband in particular to reassure that they, they can be trusted on the economy. Because for Labour, if they're not trusted on the economy, 
it's very hard for them to win a general election. Mm, yeah, it's a mountain to climb. So a big part of conference then being the PR aspect for the leadership, at least. What about the policy aspect? We were talking to Christine Jardine a moment ago about how the Liberal Democrats make policy through votes. How much do members of other parties really have a say in in the way that their parties are run? Well, I mean, Labour has its own policy conference, which uh, uh, people, uh, delegates are elected to liaise with ministers and shadow ministers in working up policy. The, the party conferences are a good time for uh, ministers to test the water. A number of the uh, business engagements events that I joined with uh, Labour shadow ministers, there really was a good two-way conversation about you know what they should be, what are their concerns, what are businesses' concerns, and what should Labour's priorities be uh, for for the coming years. I, I think you'll see uh, a lot closer engagement between Labour and the business community over the next six to 12 months. And I think you'll start to see, in 12 months' time, Labour unveiling, beginning to unveil, their policies that will go towards uh, a, a general election. So it's a very Labour's a very democratic party. Policies come up through the CLPs. Uh, they're voted on at conference. Ultimately, if you're in government, the Cabinet uh, doesn't have to, to follow party policy, but when it's in opposition... Uh, it has to take note of what the party members uh, are saying. And the National Executive Committee, uh, when you're in opposition, are the ultimate policy-making body. So it's very important that leadership keeps them on board. And there's an election uh, for that at the moment. Uh, you know, and we want, you know, people will be looking to see whether it's care supporting people uh, who are elected to that or else it's people from the previous Corbyn area. Mark, I mean, one of the interesting things about the conferences always like when I've been to them is the number of stands you get from different companies and interest groups and sponsored uh, mini meetings, conferences going on, yeah. all that kind of interaction. And obviously that goes by the board when you have a virtual experience. So that's a bit of a drop, isn't it? Well, I think all parties would, you know, would be um, would much rather have a physical conference. It's, it's a great, you know, fundamentally, it's a bit of a money raiser for most of the political parties. And, the, you know, raising funds is a very important uh, part of the, the conference role. But, um, you know, the businesses are finding other ways. Lobby groups are going to have to find other ways to engage with politicians. Um, the online uh, meetings that uh, the Labour Party had, and it's the first of the three conferences, is the only one we can really judge, um, were reasonably well attended. And there was a good uh, crossover of debate. But you, you, you lose the, the informal chat uh, that you have at party conference. You, you lose the sort of direct one-to-one, uh, you know, uh, engagement and discussion. Um, you know, parties will be very keen to see that come back in future, uh, future years and hope very much that this is the only year that they have to do their conference virtually. I think they've done as good a job as they can, uh, given the timescales that they had to set this up. But absolutely, uh, you know, Labour will be delighted to be back in Liverpool or Brighton uh, again next yeah. year where they can have their, their conference stores and people can, uh, they can have the, you know, they can go out and seek out the companies and the issues that they're concerned about and get their ideas face to face. Online, yeah. it's not been as strong, but it has been yeah. quite good. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. 
It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.